So it was 1996, the year I graduated high school. And I went off to college. I grew up in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. Anybody from St. Clair Shores? Look at that, awesome. And uh, it's all I knew for the first 18 years of my life and took this journey to Minneapolis, Minnesota to go to this Bible college to begin studying and preparing to do what it is that I do today. And uh, like a lot of schools, uh, when you have uh, the freshman class, you have to go through certain basic classes. And uh, I think one of the ways that schools kind of save money is they make hundreds of kids go to the same class with one professor. Any of you experience that at college? Many of you. And so one of the classes that I was in, I think there was 300 students in the class, was called the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is a class on the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, the teacher uh, was, a, was notorious for being very strict. Uh, he wore a suit every day. Uh, we just assumed that he wore a suit to mow his grass. <laughs> that most likely he wore a suit to go to bed in at night because the guy never smiled and he was always in a suit. He was just one of those guys. In fact, uh, he felt that it, was a, that it was a kind of a moment of pride for him that he had been teaching this class for so long uh, and that he had a failure rate of 25%. And he told us this, and so this was his way, and I guess he felt he was doing this for the school, of weeding out the, the weaker students and making sure that we knew how serious it is and, and you know, that you need to be here to study and you need to work hard. And uh, it was kind of interesting because if you've read the first five books of the Bible, uh, they can be pretty cumbersome to get through. There's a lot of information in there. If you've never read them before, I'm telling you, they are not easy books to digest. And so he would purposely change the test up every single year. And so uh, the first test came, and um, because of the, the schooling that I was fortunate enough to go through in high school, I actually learned techniques. They actually taught us techniques for how to study for things in college. And so I ended up getting an A on the first test, but a lot of my friends that I was starting to make failed. And then the second test came along for a different portion of the Pentateuch, and I again got an A on the test, and a bunch of my friends failed. And I watched it, how difficult this was for them, how discouraging it was for them. In fact, one of my friends, his name was Richard. Uh, he came from a very small farming community in northern Minnesota, incredible guy. Uh, we ended up rooming together. We became so close my sophomore year, and I saw what it was doing to him. I mean, he was already stretching himself to be there, uh, his dad was a pastor, you know, was going to go home and tell his dad that he failed out of the first, you know, class, Pentateuch. How, what, is this, you know, what does this mean for him? And for some reason, I just decided that I should probably do something about this. Like, I couldn't just sit by and not do something to help out my fellow classmates. And so what I did was, is I ended up kind of studying the first two tests and the way that he tested and, and kind of the information that he was looking for, and so for the third test that was coming up, I purposely developed a study guide and I tried to come up with every possible question or scenario that he could possibly ask on the test. And this took me hours to do. It took me hours and hours and hours to put this thing together. And I gave it to the guys on my floor who then, I didn't know this at the time, but then made copies and began to distribute to other people on other floors who then pretty soon it began to go throughout the entire class. Well, the next, the next time the test came around, uh, wouldn't you believe that instead of 25% of the class failing, only 5% of the class failed? And this guy got in front of the class and said, I know that you guys are cheating. 
and I'm going to get to the bottom of it, and whoever it is, you're, you're probably most likely going to get expelled from this school. And see, here's the thing. You have a guy that's in a position of leadership, right? It's a Bible college, for crying out loud. And yet, in my opinion, his heart was not where it should have been. His heart should have been to teach us God's word. His heart should have been to connect us to the living God, to, to help us explore Scripture, to help us study for Scripture, to help actually, in fact, have the ap- absolute opposite attitude that he had. And I'm very thankful that uh, we never actually came out and told him how we did this. It was somebody actually went to his office and showed him the study guide, and then you know from there it went uh, as the conversation went. But see, so often that can kind of be even our mindset or approach to the Bible. Sometimes as we open God's Word, it can be just about gathering information and downloading information. And I would just say, I don't think that that's ever what God intended. I don't think ever that God wants us to open His Word and just to receive some information. I, I just honestly believe that when we open God's Word, because this is what God tells us, that it's not actually for information, but it's actually for transformation. Amen. That as we read God's Word, He actually wants to transform our hearts and our lives. And I get it, opening the Bible is not always an easy thing to do, and there's a lot of scriptures in here that can be really difficult, and you read it, and you read it, and you read it again, and it still doesn't seem to make sense. But yet God has put us in communities. God has put us in churches. God has given us an opportunity to be able to open his word together and to walk through scripture together and to really draw closer to God, not be pushed further away from him. And so if you were here last week, I introduced you to the concept, the idea that for the next several months, we are going to be looking at Romans. This is one of the writings in the Bible. It's actually one of the writings in the New Testament. And last week, I challenged all of you, if you would go on this with us, if you would be willing to read Romans with us. It's 16 chapters. And I know there's some in here that you just, you just don't like to read books, right? Is there anyone that would admit you just don't like to read books? It's okay, look at that. Here's really good news for you. Romans is not a book. It's a letter, okay? <laughs> so take that pressure off of yourself. So I'm going to challenge you to read through the entire letter of Romans. In fact, when this thing was written by this guy named Paul, they would actually read the entire letter from start to finish in their church services. And here we're going to take several months to go over something that they would have gone over in one setting. And this is what I encourage people as we do this. If you're willing to push yourself and maybe you've never ever read a writing in the Bible or a letter in the Bible or any of the books in the Bible, maybe you've never you know, been part of this. This is an incredible opportunity for you to watch as God opens his word to you and he speaks into your heart and to your life. And so I would encourage you to do this. Read through the entire letter in one sitting. Don't take notes. Don't stop. Nothing. Just from the beginning to the end, all 16 chapters, just read through the whole thing and then stop. And maybe take a couple days off and then do this. Go back and read through the entire letter again. But this time as you're reading through it, write down themes that kind of pop out at you. You you can say, well, it seems like Paul's trying to say this here. It seems like God may be speaking here. This seems to be something that he's zeroing in on here. But also as you're writing down the overall themes that are speaking to you, also write down the sections in the words you don't understand. There's some big churchy words in the book of Romans. You might be going, well, what does this word mean? Or, or what is this concept? Or why, why does he seem to be going off on a tangent here? Or this doesn't seem to connect over here. And do that. And, and if you're in a house, maybe you have a spouse, it's really kind of 
fun to do this with your spouse. Maybe you don't read it together. Maybe you read it separately. Maybe you take the notes separately and then you come together and you kind of compare. Or if you have a family, maybe your kids are older and they're able to read uh, you know, this on their own. It's kind of fun to be able to do this with them as well and to see what it is that they're seeing in, the, in these passages, to see what speaks to them. And then ready for this after you do this, because you're all going to do this, right? We're all going to do this because we're not reading a book. We're reading a letter together. We're going to come to church every week. We're going to come to church every single week. And those of you that are watching online, if you can't be here, if you're not able to be here, then through, sometime throughout the week, you're either going to watch the live stream or you're going to pick up the message so that you can follow along as we dig deep into God's heart. And here's kind of the other little challenge for you is that we have these reading plans that Christian referred to just a few moments ago. They're on the app. If you don't have a smartphone, they're available at the connection centers. Uh, but what you do is you read the portion of scripture that we're actually going to cover in church before you come. And what you're going to see is by doing that, by taking that step, and you'll even see for the month of January, we're not even leaving the first chapter of Romans. These are just small portions of scripture that God is even going to speak to you further and he's going to open up his word to you further because you come prepared on Sunday. And so we just encourage you to do that, and we're going to continue to do that over the next several months. Sound good? Yes. All right, great. So let's dig into part two, what God has for us today in our sermon series, including you. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 8. There, if you want to grab one of the chair Bibles, it's page 939. If you want to use the Bible app on your phone, you're certainly welcome to do that. And if you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to take the one that you're holding home with you today. So page 939, Romans chapter 1. And very quickly, we're just going to go back to last week. We're going to look at verse 1 and then verses 5 and 6. So Romans 1.1 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the, uh, for the gospel of God. So Paul is telling us who he is. Here he's this apostle uh, he wasn't one of the apostles that actually followed Jesus. He came after that, so he didn't actually get to see Jesus perform miracles. Uh, he wasn't there when Jesus died or rose again. But he did have an encounter with God later on in his life, and we're going to be talking about that later today. But he is a follower of Jesus, and God has set him apart to proclaim the gospel, which is the good news. The good news for you and for me. And it says, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And here's where the title of the sermon series comes in, including you. That this good news, that Jesus was in fact born of a virgin, we just celebrated that at Christmas, that he lived this sinless life, that he ultimately went to the cross for you and for me, that he died for your sins and my sins, that he would rise from the dead and that he would defeat sin and death and the devil so that you and I could have the life that we enjoy here on earth, but more importantly, that we can enjoy the life that is to come which is eternity with God, our creator. And that's why it includes you, includes everyone. And it, it includes us because we're called to belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? That you and I are children of God. That we're called to belong. It's God that calls us and he places us in his family and he watches over us and he leads and he guides and he blesses us. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we're always looking at what we don't have or how hard or how difficult things are and we need to be reminded just how much he loves us and how he's constantly working in your life and in my life. And now look at what he does in verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ 
for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, isn't that kind of incredible? I mentioned this last week. Rome was a church that Paul didn't actually plant. Paul was a church planter, and he planted a lot of churches all over. I mean, he was just really a catalyst for the gospel, going to places that didn't know of Jesus, didn't know that Jesus was was a Savior, and he would go in and he would preach, and then he would plant a church, and here you have this church in Rome that he wasn't part of planting. In fact, he's never actually even been there but yet he's giving thanks to God for Jesus Christ because of their faith, because of the hope that they've placed in Jesus, because of the trust that they placed in Jesus. And not only does Paul know about it because he's a fellow believer, because he's a fellow Christian, this church has a reputation that everybody in the world knows about. Imagine being part of that kind of church. Imagine if Shepherd's Gate was known all over the world. Imagine it didn't matter what country you went to or what part of the world you went to. You could say Shepherd's Gate and people would go, oh, that's that church in Shelby Township. I've heard of that church. You know, I actually think we have a pretty good chance of becoming known all over the world. Do you know why? Nobody else has the name Shepherd's Gate. Think about it. We have such a unique name for our church. Our church isn't called Trinity. There's so many churches called Trinity, right? There's so many churches called Emmanuel, and those are two sister congregations of ours in the area. Shepherd's Gate, we have this unique name, and not only do we have this unique name, we have a very unique mix of people that call this place home. Just look around. People that are willing to leave the comforts of this place, people that are willing to go to the ends of the earth, and how special that we were able to even commission a team this morning. We're going to be commissioning another team in just a few weeks. See, our mission here at Shepherd's Gate is this. We exist to impact the world with the love of Jesus. And it could have been so easy to make a mission statement that says, we exist to impact the people of Shepherd's Gate with the love of Jesus. Or we exist to impact our community with the love of Jesus. And we said, no, we just believe that God has called us to more. We believe that God wants us to spread his love and his grace and his mercy all over to the places that he would call us to serve. In fact, uh, one of the things that we've been working here at Shepherd's Gate, maybe you haven't made it down this hallway yet, uh, if you're new, or maybe if you come in the West, and so your normal routine is to park in the West parking lot and to come in and out of the West. Um, They actually uh, have been doing some work on our mission wall. And so I would encourage you to go check this thing out. It talks about how important this mission is to us. How important it is that we feel that God has called us not just to our community, but all over the world. And so you get to read all about the exciting things that are coming up here at Shepherd's Gate. In fact, one of our goals for the next five years, one of our church-wide 11 goals is this, is that we actually want to launch 750 people outside our walls to serve in our community and around the world by 2025. And you know why this is such a fun goal? You know why this is such an amazing goal? We don't even have 750 people worshiping with us on Sunday morning. Isn't that incredible? That means that God's going to bring people here to this church. Your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, right? And they're going to get to know who Jesus is. They're going to realize the hope that they can have in Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and and, and you don't have that hope. And you can leave here today with that hope. And then we're going to take and we're going to launch you out so you can see how this works. 
So you can see how God wants to not just bring you here to receive what it is that he has for you, but to launch you out to use you with your gifts and abilities, our entire church, even people that aren't yet part of it. We're already planning to send them out. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that incredible? They don't even know it yet. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that mission wall to just be full of different countries and full of more local organizations that we are partnering with. Look at what it says next in verse 9. Paul says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Well, these are kind of words that we don't use very often, right? You don't really hear people walk around and say, I serve with my spirit. Well, what does that mean? And we kind of need to dig just a little bit deeper into this concept and what he's talking about in this passage. In fact, in the New International Version of the Bible, it, it, he talks about serving with his whole heart. So you have to understand something. Paul was all in. Paul was all in on the call of God on his life to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. He was all in for the gospel. In fact, you can read about his journey in the book of Acts. And it tells you, and it tells you the account of how he came to faith. See, that uh, Paul actually started off as a very devout Jew. And he was an educated Jew, and he was, a, he was an affluent Jew, and he was very passionate about his faith. And he felt that that was the one true faith, and so he didn't want anything to come against that. And so when Christianity began to start taking off, he felt it was his duty to persecute people that put their faith in Jesus. And so he would literally go into their homes and he would drag them off and he would imprison people, he would imprison adults, he would separate families, he was there, he watched somebody get stoned. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff that he did before Jesus got a hold of his life, before Jesus changed his heart and his life and he became a devout follower of Jesus. See, as he was a devout Jew, what was happening in, in this time is that he was really, it was just kind of this legalistic system where it was just a, a series of duties that he had to accomplish. And he didn't have a relationship with the living God. What he had was a religion. And here he is, he's been sent to go and to proclaim the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles, to the Gentile world, which is really anything that's not Jewish. That's how you define the Gentiles, right? You had Jews and you had Gentiles. And so that's what his call was. And so he was going into places where there was Greek people and there was going into places where there was Romans and both of these groups actually worshipped false gods. And they would do things in order to appease their gods. They were always striving to get toward God, not realizing that it was God who created them and God who was reaching out to them and God who had already sent his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. And so he had this huge task ahead of him as he went and he proclaimed this. So when he says these words, these are very real, very personal words to him. I serve with my spirit. I serve with my whole being. Man, this isn't just some religious task or some religious duty that I do. I do this because this is God's calling on my life. And I believe that God puts that same calling on people's hearts and lives today. I believe that he has actually put that call in your heart and in your life today. That's not just about coming to church on Sunday morning. It's not just about going through a letter in the, in the Bible. It's not just about getting more information that God, again, wants to transform you, that he wants to mold and shape you into the image of his son. 
and that he wants to put something inside of your heart, this burning desire that at times you can't even explain to other people. It's a desire to want to share what it is that God has done for you with others. That's what this is talking about. And so they know this. As they're hearing this being read, they understand the significance of Paul really pouring out his heart to them. See, Paul was an incredible teacher. And he was able to challenge people in their thinking. And Paul, yes, was an incredible apostle. He had a drive to go into other places and to preach the gospel where it hadn't been preached. But he could not have done either one of those if he also didn't have the heart of a shepherd. And he gets the heart of the shepherd from God. He had to know how to love people. He had to know how to engage people. He had to know how to love people the way that God loves them. And that's what you're seeing in this passage. You see, a follower of Jesus has a deep calling and desire to serve and to share with others. And the more that you're in God's word, the more that you read God's letter to you, you'll see this over and over again. The Bible is great at repeating itself, and that's what it does in different forms, in different contexts, through different stories, around different periods of time in history. And it goes over and over and over, and it always comes back to the same thing, Jesus. The message of the Bible is Jesus and what he can do for you. And not only that, but look at what it says in verse 11. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Man, this is an incredible passage as well. Think about this. He wants to be with them. He has never actually met them. He's never actually been in in their church. But think about this. He gets this. He wants to go so that he can use the gifts and the abilities that God has given him to pour something into this congregation, to help them go further, even though they're already doing an incredible job, even though their faith is being reported all over the world, he still feels like he has something to give them. And not only does he have something to give them as an apostle, as a preacher, check this out, that they have something to give him. That by him being in their presence and watching as God works in their lives, that they're actually encouraging to him as well. That they're actually speaking into his heart, into his soul, and into his life. You got to remember, at this time, Paul would have been pretty well known. I mean, he would have planted a bunch of churches. The church in Rome certainly know who, who he was. I mean, it would have been like uh, Billy Graham saying, hey, Shepherd's Gate, I want to come and visit you, right? I think we might have a couple extra people on that Sunday morning, don't you think? (laughs) Billy's going to Shepherd's Gate. Billy wants to come check it out, the great evangelist, right? Or pick somebody that's well-known and says, hey, I've heard about the ministry that Shepherd's Gate does, and I want to go, and I want to be there, and I want to impart something to them because I know equally they're going to impart something to me. They're going to make an investment in me. And this is something, I don't know, maybe we don't talk about this enough in the Christian world, in the Christian life, that we have the opportunity on a spiritual level to speak truth into each other and to speak encouragement into each other. And the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, actually has the ability to put things on our hearts in a moment's time and give us the opportunity to actually respond to those promptings because he knows every human heart and every human mind, and he can do things that we don't even always understand. 
I'll give you a couple examples. A few weeks ago, I was at the gym and I got a text message from one of our members. And I dropped my phone because the text message was from a member who had lost his son the night before in a tragic car accident. And I, and I just was so overcome with emotion. And the next day, having to go and to sit with him and his wife and his family at their house and to be where there with them and to love them and to support them. And Christian, our worship leader, went with me to be there to love them and to support them. And a few days later, the plan was for me to meet them at their house and we were going to make the drive to their daughter-in-law's house. And their daughter-in-law obviously just losing her young husband. You know, they just had a one-year-old and I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I didn't know what to do or what to say or how to do this. You know, for some reason, we probably should have studied that in school, right? Instead of spending all our time studying the Pentateuch, but that's what it was. And I got into my car and I was putting in the GPS coordinates to their house and I got a text message from one of our members here. And the member said, they said, hey, do you have a minute? I just need to talk to you just for a quick minute. Can you give me a call when you get a second? Which normally when you get a text message like that, you think, there's another situation, right? There's another problem. There's something. And I'm like, okay, I got like 15 minutes to get to their house. Okay, I want to do this because if they're in a need right now, I want to be able to be there for them. And so I call this member of our church and she says, Tim, I don't know what it is, but I cannot get you off my mind. God is like telling me that I have to reach out to you. And she said that she said, God is telling me that I have to pray for you. And I don't pray in public. I don't pray out loud. This is really uncomfortable for me. And I don't know why God has put this on my heart that I should do this right now. And she said, but we're going to do this. And I was like, okay. And I'm driving. <laughs> Some of you might wonder, like, does Tim ever cry? Listen, she prays this unbelievable, unbelievable, God-appointed prayer for me to be filled up. And then she gets to the end of her prayer and she goes, Tim, Tim, are you still there? And I'm sobbing so I can barely talk and drive the car. And I said, thank you. Thank you for responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Thank you for being obedient to what it is that God had called you to do because you just poured into me. You just encouraged me so now I can go and do this difficult thing and try to provide encouragement and hope to a family that's going through such a difficult time in their life. You think that was by accident? No way. I can't tell you how many times people will text message or people will call or people will just say just the right thing, the words of encouragements that we need to hear. And here's what it's going to take for us, church, is we got to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and our lives. As we're out in the community, as we're with our families, yes, even when we're in the fellowship hall, to just take a moment and say, God, what is it that you're speaking to me and how do you want me to influence other people? And what are those encouraging words that I could give to other people? See, I'm just human like you, right? I don't have it all together and people always ask, does it get easier as you go through tragedies and you go through circumstances? No, each and every time it is emotional and it is difficult. Yesterday, yesterday I'm at the eyeglass store with my son and I get a text message that says, Tim, Trisha, one of, our, one of my good friends, she went on one of our mission trips with us. Tim, you need to come. She only probably has another day or two before the Lord takes her. Today's her 48th birthday. So you know what I did? 
I do, I do what I do often. I called Pastor Craig, who's our pastoral care coordinator. And I said, hey, man. He said, how are you doing? I said, I don't know. He goes, I'll pick you up at your house. So he picks me up and we went together. And we went into the bedroom and he said the right exact words that she needed to hear. He said the right exact words that her family needed to hear. And we prayed and we walked out and I just said, God, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the call that God has in your life and the ability that you have in some of the most difficult circumstances to know what to say and to how to say it. Man, God, oh, I just believe he has more in store for this church. He has more in store for you and maybe you're going through life and you don't have somebody to encourage you, that you don't have someone to speak into you. Here's the thing, God wants to speak into you first and foremost through his word. Join us on this reading plan. Even break it up into little chunks if you have to. Come every week because you even being here every week allows who's ever preaching to speak into you, to speak on behalf of God, to pour into you what actually matters in life. The most important thing that you could receive today is the hope that you have in Jesus. And so if you're here and again, you don't know Jesus or maybe you feel far from Jesus, guess what? Even in this moment, he's drawing you close to himself. And he's telling you, I love you and I want to be part of your life. See, these passages so often, even in the beginning of these letters that are written, we can just kind of hurry right over them, but yet there's so much truth and there's so much encouragement in them. It's incredible as you continue even just reading the last few verses of this, right? It says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And this whole concept of reaping a harvest is he wants to see God do even more in their midst. In fact, his plan was that he would go there and he would pour in the church in Rome because Paul had his sights on another country and another place called Spain who hadn't yet heard the gospel and so he was always thinking two and three steps ahead. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that the people of this church are some pretty incredible people. That you have the heart of your God and that he wants to do more than build up your net worth on this earth. That he wants to do more than have you go on vacations. That he, that he has more than making your life comfortable here and now. That he actually wants to do things on a spiritual level to impact people with the hope that they can have with the gospel. And I want to end with this. This is something our communications team sent me last week. Someone that was here in our church. And, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings, we don't normally tell you that at the end of the day, if you could, if you could go on Google and, and review our church, that would be really helpful to us. <laughs> right? We've never done that before. Okay? So this is what someone uh, wrote uh, just this last week, and I thought it would be cool to share it with you guys. It said, My first experience at Shepherd's Gate was unfortunately for a family member's passing. And even though it was a very sad day, this wonderful church made me feel welcomed and at home. I never felt like a visitor or stranger. Every one of the staff and volunteers made me feel like I was a member or friend for years. The talent of the singers and musicians is at a level you'd hear in a recording studio. It's pretty cool. The Holy Spirit is strong here. This is what you want to hear, right? I can't wait to be part of their community as a regular and now I see why my Uncle Jim was such a prominent volunteer and member. Thank you for showing my family the light on a dark day. You truly held a wonderful service for Uncle Jim and the whole family. Thank you. 
And I just believe this is going to be happening more and more and more. Like Paul, as we humble ourselves, as we figure out what it is that God has positioned us to do, and that these next five years are going to be some of the most incredible years yet for this church. But it's going to start one day at a time, and one week at a time, and one month at a time, because God loves us and he never stops working in our hearts and our lives. Amen? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the richness and the truth that is found in your word. God, we're so humbled and grateful for the faith that we have, the faith that you have instilled in our hearts and our lives, and even the opportunity to gather every week and be reminded of that, whether we're physically here this morning or whether we're watching online in our homes or maybe someplace else. God, it's your truth, it's your word that brings hope, that brings healing, that brings light. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here this morning, and maybe you're not a believer, listen, God is drawing you to himself this morning. And I would just encourage you, whisper a prayer to him, invite him to be part of your life and watch how he will reveal himself and continue to reveal himself to you. And keep coming here and watch as God surrounds you with people who will walk this journey with you. God, once again, we're so humbled and grateful for your amazing love and mercy in our lives. It's in your son's most holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.